Hi, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein, and I am so delighted for you to join me today as we prepare to hear from my special guest, Dr. Melody McLeod, who is the first Black woman to establish an obstetrician gynecologist practice in DeKalb County, Georgia. Dr. McLeod is an amazing trailblazer who specializes in taking care of women in her community and looking after their reproductive health, pregnancies, and deliveries. She is also known for her work as an author, public speaker, and media consultant. Dr. McLeod, it is certainly an honor to have you join me today. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, Dr. Stein, thank you for having me. It's my honor and my pleasure to join you on this, this lovely day. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. And we're going to begin by delving into women's health in particular today and unfolding some of the information uh, that I've been able to review regarding your new book, Black Women's Wellness. And you've got this guide to health, sex, and phenomenal living. But before we go there, I'd like to start by asking you about your journey as a health professional and uh, just wanted to, you know, start by asking you, what made you de decide to, you know, become a doctor in the first place? Well, I, I think the, the first uh, feeling I had about becoming a physician was when I was a little girl. Uh, I actually had at that time, and we're talking decades ago, I had a black female pediatrician. Her name was Dr. Doris Weathers, no A, W-E-T-H-E-R-S. And when I was a little girl in New York City, I used to love to go to her office and and actually smell the rubbing alcohol in the air. I don't know what that did for me. I just kind of <laughs> it just smelled fresh and clean. And mm -hmm. and also too, I remember hearing people say, you know, just sitting in the waiting room uh, that that she helped people feel better. Uh, and I just think that stuck with me. I don't know if it's some astrological energy I have about healing people or whatever, but I just uh, I think that was my first interest in that. Um, and then also when I got into high school and had a health class, uh, that kind of intersected with the time of my becoming a Christian. So health was learning about the body and how the body works. And then I was thinking, wow, some, this is just kind of a miracle type thing, especially for me going into OBGYN. I thought about it back then. I was like, wow, you mean to tell me, a, a well, you have sex and a sperm and an egg get together and make a baby. I think I just kind of freaked out about that at my young age. <laughs> so I, I think Dr. Weathers was really the, the first uh, visual that I, I had about uh, entering into the medical field. And it, and it stayed with me all throughout, despite a naysayer I had in my, with my high school teacher, which I can tell you about if you want. <laughs> Yeah, we can we can talk. We're going to delve into some of that and things that, you know, I'm sure we both uh, had to contend with over time. But one of the things I really wanted to, to mention, obviously, it's amazing that one person could could impact, you know, your life like that to really uh, help you in deciding the direction you should go. One thing I wanted to know if you had any uh, other role models, um, particularly people like uh, Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler, you know, like did did someone like that impact you in your career also? Well, actually, I didn't even learn of Dr. Crumpler until much, much later on. Uh, again, in my early life, truly looking back on my personal life, I really 
I, I have to say, I don't feel that I had any role models at the time because I didn't even have much family. Um, I never knew any of my grandparents. Mm -hmm. I had an absentee father who I later found and met when I was 49 years old. <laughs> that was culture shock. Uh, my mother, she did a good job when I was younger. I found out later on she really had some issues going on that I had to kind of even protect myself from. Uh, I think one person that was helpful to me uh, in my later teenage years was my pastor, Reverend Wyatt T. Walker, who used to work with Martin Luther King, as a matter of fact. Uh, so he used to encourage me and sometimes would even call me, you know, hello, doctor. You know, he would call me doctor. So I think that got in my brain. So I really just had to kind of stay focused. Some kind of way I had the discipline and motivation to kind of keep my head down. About yeah. Dr. Crumpler, I did not learn of her. And just so everybody will know, Dr. Rebecca Lee, as the Civil War raged in 1864, she became the first Black female physician in the United States. And that's just a remarkable feat. And she later married uh, Dr. Mr. Crumpler. Uh, and she actually ended up graduating from what is now Boston University School of Medicine, which ironically is where I went to medical school. But I did not learn of her when I was at, at, at BU Med. I did not know her story. And hers is right, a courageous we, story. Yeah. Uh, when you hear about people like that and, and some of the things that they've uh, had to encounter uh, from racism to, you know, sexism, I mean, that's very real as well. You know, I myself grew up in a, a medical family and um, I know one of the greatest women um, in in dentistry happened to be in my uh, dad's graduating class at Howard, Dr. Jean Sinkford. And um, I remember <laughs> going by and looking at the picture of her on my dad's wall. She was the only woman in the class of about a dozen men. And I looked at the picture, she was just this beautiful woman. And I asked my dad, I said, who is this beautiful woman, you know? And he said, why that's Dr. Jean Sinkford. She's the smartest one in the class uh, and the only woman in the class. And I, I said, well, I tell you what, she must be a bad mama jamma because she's got to put up with all of you, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, but she also has her PhD, you know, just an incredible woman. And, uh, you know, I, I learned about her, you know, being uh, the lone survivor on the uh, Tuskegee panel and that kind of thing. So I'm always amazed by uh, women like yourself who've done uh, such incredible things within their career, despite, you know, odds. And people need to know that no matter what level that you're at, that you're always going to face some type of challenge and how you uh, handle it or deal with it is really what's important. I yeah, and I think regarding on. Dr. Rebecca Crumpler, her story too, because she she kind of had an early role model when she was young. She was raised by her aunt in Delaware and she modeled her energies after her aunt because her aunt was a caretaker of people. She, she saw her aunt give care to people. So Rebecca actually left Delaware and went to Boston and became a nurse and the the doctors with whom she worked at the hospital then when she was being a nurse, they were so impressed with her that they actually recommended that she apply to medical school. And so she did. She applied to the New England Female Medical College, which later merged with Boston University School of Medicine. So per the recommendation of those white doctors, she applied, was accepted, matriculated, graduated. And then to speak of a courageous woman, 
when the war ended in 1865, a year after she graduated, she actually went to Virginia to take care of recently freed slaves that the white doctors refused to take care of. And, and while she was there, uh, I've done a lot of research on her. Uh, reportedly, the hospitals denied her privileges to admit her patients. The pharmacists didn't want to honor her prescriptions. And it, it's also written that some people said that the MD behind her name stood for mule driver. Mm. Now, wow. you know, talk about microaggressions. Okay, that, that's pretty, pretty vile. Right. Have so, you uh, have you had to deal with anything like that within your own profession? I mean, that was a long time ago, so it seems. But you know, I'm sure you yourself have had to deal with certain things as as many of us have. Oh yeah, absolutely. And getting back to my high school teacher, uh, I remember after a PTA meeting at, at high school, I was standing right there. Uh, I can see it right now. She was the history teacher and also the school's vice principal. And I remember her saying to my mother, um, make sure she takes typing because black people don't become doctors. Mm -hmm. Okay. But yeah. fortunately, I already knew better because I had Dr. Weathers. So I knew that was not true. I right. knew that wasn't true. So thank God for Thankfully. Dr. Weathers. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, if you can see it, you can believe it. You know, you, you can see that you can be it. So that was really good. And then also, too. You know, I, I went to, again, Boston University School of Medicine, mostly a predominantly white uh, medical school. At the time I was in, in class, there were 90 students altogether. Only nine of us were Black. Uh, and, you know, thank God I made it through there. In fact, there's a picture of me walking across the stage and someone happened to catch me thanking, like looking up, thanking God that I made it out of there. And then to come here to Emory to the South here in Atlanta, I was a little nervous about that. Um uh, you know, and you hear little snide remarks. And I remember even one time I was, even after I had already trained, I was actually a practicing physician and everything. And I was on call for the emergency room one night and uh, the, some patient was brought in by by helicopter from a rural community. And I was the OBGYN on call. She was hemorrhaging internally. And uh, they had told the husband, because the patient was half conscious, uh, you know, you know, Dr. McLeod's on her way and blah, 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 blah. And I had already given some orders over the phone what to do based on what they told me. So I got to the to the emergency room in the room. You know, hello, I'm Dr. McLeod. And really, the, the this woman had a, a ruptured ectopic pregnancy, which is a ruptured tubal pregnancy, basically. And I walk in the room and the guy says, you know, he basically, you know, oh, no, you know, we're not I'm, we're not having some black doctor operate on my wife. And he just and the nurse was like, you want Dr. McLeod to operate on her? He's like, oh, no, we don't. So he actually they actually signed out what we call AMA against medical advice. You know, I mean, so it, it, it happens. You know, it, it happens. Um yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to believe, you know, in the 21st century, but um, that, you know, leads me into sort of uh, an interesting uh, statistic I found, um, according to some of the research I found on uh, Zipia, the career experts, there are currently 23,154 OBGYNs, with 82% being women, and 14.8% being men. Now of those, almost 66% are, are actually Caucasian and 11% are African-American. So with that, um, what I also read is that the numbers are dwindling 
And there's likely to be a shortage of OBGYNs, especially within the next 10 years. So what do you attribute that to from your perspective? Well, I think one overall perspective is when it comes to seeing and believing, we need to show again more Blacks that yes, you can be physicians. And the more that we have, the more can be seen. And we, so that's one thing. I think secondly, though, overall, and not only just for OBGYNs, but overall, medicine today is not what it really needs to be. And the healthcare profession has kind of become a healthcare industry. So it's not as pure. It's kind of tainted by big business and insurance. So I think a lot of would-be physicians may be turned off a little bit because, it's again, it's not a pure uh, profession as it used to be. Uh, also, the strain of life as an OBGYN, I mean, it, it's it's tough. It's a, you know, it's not an easy schedule. Uh, mm -hmm. When I was yeah. in training, I mean, I worked, when I was in training, I worked about 115 hours a week, which was just grueling. Mm -hmm. And then in wow. practice, you know, sometimes 80 or so hours a week, 80, 90 hours a week, uh, even cross covering with, with another doctor. Uh, nowadays, the hours are better, um, but medicine itself overall is not what it could be and needs to be. And I'm just saying that straight up. Um, but we we do lag with Blacks in medicine altogether for women and men. And actually, we have fewer Black men in medicine than we do Black women, which happens across the board and other things to entrepreneurship and everything. Right. I've, I've uh, definitely seen those numbers coming you know, from Meharry, which produces, you know, 41% of the nation's African-American uh, dentists and physicians. So um, that is a huge issue that is going to definitely need to be dealt with. And uh, something else that I read uh, was that more people are going, as opposed to private practice, they're working for, you know, big healthcare organizations. And so I don't, I think you take uh, caring out of the formula sometimes. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's tough now for people who are still in pr private practices or trying to hold on to their private practice. If you're not part of that big hospital conglomerate that's in bed with the insurance companies, you know, the right. private community physicians are really being kind of locked out or they, they may not get the same compensation deal. It's really, it's an unfair practice right now um right it's the machine it's, i remember my father fighting vehemently against that because i think he he saw the future like that uh it, it was gonna no longer be about people's lives care. and caring yeah. caring about people and yeah. more about the dollars and that i you know i don't know where we're headed with this but i i did want to ask you uh you know, not having enough OBGYNs, uh, you know, in the future, what what kind of impact might that have on our communities? Well, OB is where everything starts because it's from birth that we all begin. So we need obstetricians uh, to not have enough OBGYNs in any community is, is going to affect women's health care in general. Uh, a lot of people may Sometimes a, a family practitioner may do some obstetrical work, uh, but still there's a specialty training that we go through as OBGYNs and that cannot be negated or it should not be minimized. It shouldn't be overlooked. And it's something that we really need to make sure we 
encourage people to keep going into because maternal care is where it all starts. You know, how how you are taken care of uh, and how you are treated, how you how you receive care as a pregnant woman, that leads to how well the baby is going to do. You know, if you have better care and you start your prenatal care early, you don't wait till you're already, you know, in your second, late second or third trimester, you start prenatal care early. The earlier you start prenatal care, the better off the mother is going to be and most likely the better off the baby is going to be. So, and so we need doctors to be in place so that the women will have a safe place and a healthy place to get that medical care, you know, from day one. And even pre-pregnancy uh, counseling is is important to, to know your medical history, go over that with the OBGYN doctor, what risks you face. It's, it's, a, it's a wide thing and we need OB doctors to be present and more doctors to enter the field. Most definitely. Um, we're going to take a quick break, uh, a little commercial break here. When we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Melody McLeod about her newly released book, Black Women's Wellness. You've got this. It's a guide to health, sex, and phenomenal living. We'll be back right after this. A lot of things have come to a screeching halt due to COVID-19, but you should know that the court system in Tennessee is still open and holding in-person hearings for orders of protection and other types of abuse cases. If you have a hearing date, double-check on where your hearing will be held. If you need assistance on an order of protection or temporary restraining order, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443 or visit our website at www.las.org. And welcome back. You're listening to The Celeste Stein Show, and I'm here with Dr. Melody McLeod, an obstetrician-gynecologist who is here for a candid discussion on women's health. Uh, again, thank you for joining us. I wanted to ask you uh, about your book a little bit here uh, at this juncture. I wanted to find out why now did you decide to release this book in January on Black women's health in particular? Well, I've been writing for a few years here and there, uh, and you may see other books in the bookstores and in the library written by white physicians or other physicians, but rarely have I seen any current news about Black health, despite the disparity numbers that we hear. And, you know, we're lucky if we get a line or a paragraph, never mind a chapter, and some of the books that are out there. So there was just a an opening to to directly address black women's health and, and men information is in there as well. Um, I think too, over the years, some publishers have been reluctant to publish books about black health because the industry kind of had a feeling of black people may not read a book or black people may not read about their health. But I can say that with COVID, you know, and, and the, the terrible condition and life-stealing uh, disease that COVID has been, it has really caused many more people to say, you know what, maybe I need to pay more attention to my health. And, and I think so people are more aware, they need to pay attention to it, they know they need to pay attention to it. And I'm grateful to the publisher, Sounds True, because they recognized that there is a need to get the message out there to help Black women have a resource that they can turn to uh, to reference, because sometimes people are reluctant to go to the doctor. You know, I don't want to go. I don't want to find out. I'm afraid. You know, well, mama just said, try this. So I'm just going to pray about it. But sometimes when <laughs> symptoms start popping up, you know, right. even just to have 
a reference, even to kind of push you through that fear, maybe like maybe it's good to have a reference book to read about some things and learn about yourself. And I get into family history. I have a checklist in there to check your, look at your family history. I start out with that early in the book, you know, to start out, you know, I have a whole list of diseases and, you know, mother, father, sister, brother, cousins, et cetera. So uh, some men, I tell you, something has to almost be falling off for them to go to the doctor and women as caregivers, you know, we're the ones that, you know, typically, you know, I'm the one that's making the appointments and, and, and getting people into the doctor. And I just worry, you know, that, you know, what's going to happen if, if you don't have people who are, you know, paying attention here and leading the family in the right direction as far as caregiving goes and so that's going to lead us to a, a discussion on a whole thing uh as it relates to children and COVID we're going to talk about that in just a minute but I wanted to continue about the book what would you say is the status on black women's health today you know are things improving or have things actually taken a turn for the worse following the COVID pandemic Oh my, well, COVID has again affected everybody in a negative way, but I think with regard to uh, Black health data, and in fact, I have a whole bunch of it, I, I have a section in every chapter, Black women's health in focus, okay, depending on what the topic might be. It might be heart disease, it might be lung diseases, it might be GYN issues. Uh, so overall, um, yeah, we have the highest mortality rate from heart disease. We have the highest uh, death rate from stroke of all women, uh, 39, 38, 38 deaths per 100,000 for blacks compared to 22,000 uh, for whites. Um, we have the highest mortality from breast, lung and other cancers. White women may get breast cancer more frequently, but black women still die from it more frequently. Right, right. Uh, maternal mortality, you've heard a lot about that in the news in the last couple of years. Maternal mortality is, we are really, really in bad shape with that. And a lot of that is because we don't get to the doctor right away. And I'm just going to show you quickly. I think you can see this graph kind of, yeah. th this is black, oh, my, excuse my nails. This is black women right here. <laughs> I didn't do my nails today. I've been scrubbing and scrubbing and all that. So, hey, I'm just like everybody else. You know what I mean? Right. I completely understand. <laughs> Oops. Okay. You don't see me showing mine. <laughs> I mean, you know, I really, I just, I just, I've been cleaning and stuff. I'm sorry, y'all. Okay. But you I see understand. That, it's okay. It's you okay. see that the tall line, that's, that's black. Yeah. Okay. That's mm -hmm. us compared to everybody else. The next one is uh, Native Alaskan women, Asian, mm. and these are white women here. So black have the highest white. Uh, okay, black yeah. white. You see where we are. We're looking at mortality rates. Or... Yeah, this is pregnancy yeah. related mortality rates. Okay, so mm. this is critical. This is critical, and and also too, and I have it here about infant mortality. We have twice the rate of infant deaths compared to whites. Uh, we have eleven. Infant mortalities compared to four for whites. And in the book, I say our goal with this book even isn't to be more like white people, is to be healthier black women. Okay, that's right. our goal to be healthier. To yeah. be healthy. I mean, to not try to be like anybody else. No, we, we just need to know, be healthier for ourselves. Exactly. We need to be exactly. healthier for ourselves. Well, and infant mortality know, can be reduced by pre early prenatal care. You have to, you know, we need to get in there and get that early prenatal care because we can pick up on 
uh, hypertension, diabetes, fetal anomalies. Babies may have a heart issue. So getting in, getting those regular appointments early is really critical to help prevent uh, pregnancy-related mortality. Well, while I know, you know, getting into, uh, you know, seek care is, is one part of it. I also wanted to ask, you know, how much of actually being able to receive care, as we've heard a lot about um, health equity and disparities in, in health care amongst African-Americans and other minorities, um, or even people who live in, you know, Appalachia or rural communities, not actually having access to healthcare. I was, you know, part of a group that uh, helped initiate uh, a clinic in an area that had no dental care. That's like mm -hmm. a little over an hour, uh, just a little over an hour outside of Nashville. But it, it was crucial. They were seeing, um, they were actually seeing pregnant women who had lost all their teeth because they hadn't, during the pandemic, hadn't gone for dental care. I mean, some of the clinics were closed. And then some went out of business. Many, no one's talking about this, but no, you know, we know several doctors went out of business. Their, their you know, uh, practices closed. They couldn't afford to keep them open mm -hmm. and paying these high amounts on rent and all the equipment. It's very, very expensive to maintain a practice. So, I mean, is that a big part of it too? Not just uh, us seeking care, but not even being able to receive care after the pandemic. I mean, are you are you seeing that in the greater Atlanta area? Yeah, we we have a good number of physicians here, you know, in the metro area, but but surely the rural community is kind of just outside the metro area. Yeah, there there are fewer physicians. Some of the clinics even have closed down. Clinics that were serving poor and underserved uh, populations, you know, they've closed right. down. Uh, sometimes Completely people, or just temporarily? I, I know mean, a few know that have closed down altogether because they just couldn't keep. And then, so that leaves an entire community or maybe even a, a county of people with no health care. They have to drive an hour and a half or two hours to get to the next yes. the next physician's practice or, right. you know, to yeah. a, a, a hospital that can give them the quality of care that they need or their little infant baby might need. Right. And you think... Uh, transportation is not a given anymore. I mean, <laughs> a lot of things were discontinued. I mean, supply chain issues, you know, people are like, it's twice as much to buy a used vehicle, you know? So this mm -hmm. is really something we haven't even begun to see the impact, I think, of. And as time goes on, we're certainly going to need to talk more about this. But we're going to take another quick break and when we come back, please stay tuned. We're actually going to touch on Roe v. Wade. So we'll be back right after this. When it comes to relationships, there are some obvious signs you can use to spot someone who might be abusive. First, they have a tendency to want to rush into a relationship. They may also show signs of jealousy and mistrust. And you could find they expect you to be perfect and will try to cut you off from other important relationships. They could also be abusive towards animals and children. To learn more about the signs of dangerous individuals and how you can identify and avoid unhealthy relationships, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443. It's important. I and talk about domestic violence back. in the book. Mm. Uh, yes, yes. That's something else that uh, I think a lot of people face. I've actually had a whole show on that where 
people uh, couldn't get out. I mean, you know, and financially couldn't get out. So there, those numbers were way up during the pandemic. So these are issues that I know it's like so many, there's so many bigger issues. You can't even get into this stuff right now. It's, it's crazy, but you know, we must, we, we have to be resilient. And I think um, I'm so glad that you wrote your book because you know, obviously you touch on uh, being resilient and, you know, coming back after um, all these things that uh, we face as women, as Black women. Um, I think uh, you're to be commended for, for addressing that at such an important time. Um, I want to talk about the fact that uh, we, we talked about going back in time a little bit. Um, on June 24th of last year, we know that the U.S. Supreme Court did overturn Roe v. Wade, the landmark 1973 Supreme Court decision that affirmed the constitutional right to uh, abortion. How is the new decision impacting Black women in particular and the Black family from your perspective? Well, I think that the fact that that was overturned has done a terrible injustice to women's health because it may have stopped what the Supreme Court wants to stop, but it's not going to stop some women from getting an abortion. The problem is, instead of it being done in a safe environment under controlled medical circumstances, some women will resort to what was done years ago, backstreet alley abortions. There'll be a lot of hemorrhaging. There'll be loss of life. Um, and sometimes with women... And a lot of a lot of times the, the people who seek abortions, in fact, may already have a family or they may already have children, but for whatever reason they may decide, you know, I this another child right now is not what they want to do or feel that what they want to have. And so I think for legislators to say what a woman should or should not do within something in her body, it, it is going to impact women's health and safety. Uh, it, it, it's it's um, it, it's endangering women's health is is the bottom line, truthfully. Yeah, you know, people and, can choose what they want to do, but I think for someone to legislate that a woman can't do something with her own body is is going to lead to more fe more uh, female mortality and morbidity and, and even death and hemorrhage. Yeah, I definitely. I don't know. I feel like politics should just be kept out of uh, healthcare. I think women things. only I don't think any men should get to vote on any female related <laughs> health issues. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't know, huh? <laughs> just don't quite understand the mechanics. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a whole hairy can of worms I'm going to stay away from. But I mean, I just think now I do think, it, you know, if it's a woman's health issue in the legislature. I think only let the female legislators vote on that. You know, just <laughs> You, you you can only understand as a woman, right? I tell you what. Uh, we we touched on uh, infant mortality rates. Um, I want to uh, give a quick statistic I found. Um, EconoFact reports that the U.S. birth rate has actually fallen 20% uh, since 2007. So the largest decline is among Black and Hispanic women at 9%. And since the Great Recession of 2007, this steady decline 
has continued, which in the past has usually typically recovered when the economy recovered, but not this time. So this is not being explained by demographic, economic, or policy changes. Can you explain it? You're there on the <laughs> ground. You see what's oh going God, on. I don't know if I have that answer. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me look at my book and see what I said about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, think with, with regard to Black women, uh, and it's kind of, I think in a way it's kind of a mixed bag because sometimes we are seeing uh, more younger people having babies, maybe before they're really ready. But at the same time, mm. we, we do see more single women going on and getting their education uh, and they're achieving, they're becoming business owners or they're going off with you know, high degrees or trying to get to the, the C executive suite in the corporate office. Uh, so sometimes again, people may put, uh, well, marriage numbers are down, you know, tremendously, unfortunately. Uh, but a lot of women are just going on with their careers because one, they may not be able to find a, a spouse or two, they, because they don't have that, they're like, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and buck, buckle down and get my degree and get a job and grow my business. So they may be putting off um, childbearing much later and, and not having as many babies. Also in the white community too, they say too that the the, the numbers of births have gone down. In fact, some, you know that gets right, into the whole political thing of yeah. So it's kind of a national thing, and that the numbers are going down with regard to uh, new babies being born. Um, but I think a lot of black women are, many of them are going on with school and getting a job because, again, marriage marriage stats are so low too. It's like, you know, I need to do something to make sure I'm taking care of myself. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, and when we talk about taking care of oneself, you know, you know, women do tend to be the caregivers as we've discussed. Um, and we often will take care of others, you know, before we even take, take care of ourselves. But, you know, I always heard too, you know, you've got to kind of, if you're flying in a plane, they were like, Grab the oxygen mask and put it on your yourself first. Put it on your face, and then you can then help the next person. Well, you know the same thing when it comes to our families. But I'm seeing women appear, you know, depleted more than ever before. It seems like it was already getting to be a lot, um, you know, as as a, a working woman taking care of a family. People are disjointed. People are, you know, they're not staying in the same communities. They're moving away for school or they get married and move away. And so that um, core unit of, of uh, family caretakers and people that you can rely on, you know, it's not there anymore. And so people seem uh, overwhelmed, kind of tired. Uh, what observations have you made regarding women's health and wellness and how women are faring when it comes to taking care of themselves, you know, post-pandemic. Yes, well, and again, I do mention that in the book too, because like you said, we 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 have to take care of ourselves. And women, yes, we are the the caretaker of the family for the most part when it comes to, mm -hmm. you know, you know, honey, you that doesn't look we are taking you to the doctor, you know, or or the, the kids, <laughs> right. you know, that so that's how it is. I mean it's just how it is, really. The women basically take care of the home and direct the medical appointments. Uh and we're so busy extending ourselves and giving of ourselves. And, you know, we can think of a whole bunch of different things at one time that has to be handled. And a lot of it's that we're handling for other people. And we may not take time, 
for ourselves to, to, to just take a chance to exhale. You know, in fact, last night I was on the phone with a friend of mine and I was worried about him. She's actually taken on, she's adopted her niece because that mother passed and the niece is 16 and it's just a bit much, you know, she was just crying and distraught and it's just, and we're fighting up with social media, which is a challenge for a lot of people and all that. So you have to allow yourself to take time for yourself and it's not being selfish if you just say, listen, I just need a moment or I just need this afternoon or I need today, okay, go right. do something. Can you cook tonight? Can you can you take the kids or I just need this day and you need to take some time and find what you enjoy. You know, if you just need right. some quiet time with this, you know, jazz or some music or get into some art, you know, or yoga or meditation or sister friendship, you know, find what gives you some peace. For me, it's nature and it's water. You know, I, I love water, water being waters that just, right. that's my <laughs> Zen. So you've got to take time for yourself. It's okay to do that. Allow you, give yourself permission to take care of yourself as well. Right. Absolutely. I think sometimes I have a lot of friends that tend to feel guilty, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, taking that little time out, you know, going to the gym or what have you. And so it, it, it leads to one bad habit after another, though, when you don't, you know, you, you, you'll you gain weight, um, you won't de-stress. And so you'll always seem like you're angry about something, you know, all these things happen and, and you've got to, I mean, it's, you know, for me, you know, the older I get, the more I know it's, it's a necessity, you know, that you have to really take time out for yourself. And it's not an easy thing to do when you really are, you know, devoted and, and really want to see the well-being of others. You know, it's, it's not, it's not easy, but. Yeah. And in fact, my friend to. that I was talking to last night, she actually is a minister. She, she's a preacher. So people mm -hmm. are calling on, pulling on her all the time. She's in a small community. She's not here local. She's in a small kind of rural community. And, and uh, so she's, she was saying, people were saying, you know, well, Reverend, I need you to talk about this, but I need prayer about this. I need, you know, and I told her, I said, you know what? You might need to just tell us that, listen, y'all, right now I need some prayer. Okay. She needs it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, hold on. Wait a yeah, minute. Like right you know? right now, the preacher needs a little, little help right now. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Let's talk for a moment again about health equity. Um, it's duly noted that African-Americans, Hispanics, and Native Americans in particular have not had the same access to health care as others. Do you see this as primarily an economic issue or um, is there a lot more to it than that? I think economics has something to do with it. You know, I think with the Native American people, you know, God God bless the Native American people, you know, that, that they are hanging in as best they can, but they really have not been treated fairly here in this country. Uh, they don't have the resources nearby. The government in many ways has overlooked their needs and doesn't provide uh, services where they are. Um, so, you know, and they're making do as best they can. Um, for the black community, um, you know, there there are food deserts. There are things that are lacking in the in the black communities that that could we need to better our health. Um, and then too, we have to make sure that we make use of the things that are available. You know, I mean, here 
in Atlanta where I lived. In fact, years ago, on the people were saying, "Oh, we, you know, we need grocery stores with fresh food. We need bookstores. We need this, that, and the other." And so finally, some developers actually developed a particular area, and the and they put a a big bookstore there, and they actually had a good grocery store there. Uh, and do you know that the only thing really that has survived there is mm. a particular restaurant and the hair supply place? Oh my goodness! The beauty, be well, beauty supply. Okay, they are thriving. Yeah. In fact, they bought or renting up their another space that belonged to part of the bookstore. So, you know, we have to make use of what's there for us for our good to better our community. Um, and I'm 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 a proponent of of that. Okay, because um, even with churches, you know, we may have a concert and the church is packed out, but you have a healthy health fair. And if you get nobody. 30 or 40 people to show up, you know, that's good. So we have to we have to get into some personal responsibility. We have to weigh what's important. Okay, music is good. I like some old school gospel music, but also, too, if your church is providing health services and there's free screening or free mammograms, if they've gone through the trouble of arranging these things, and if you can't afford it on your own or you don't have medical insurance and these services are available to you, make use of them. You know, right. I think, I think we also, um, you know, need to really speak up when we see these things going on and, and demand change uh and, and that's work we have to do ourselves um i used to teach a health communications class in, at a uh a hbcu um and i just i'll just say the community um surrounding the campus you know was an older community and it kind of was cut off from the rest of everything else but we would make observations about just things that, you know, the, the students would uh, comment on things they noticed within the community, like that there wasn't a grocery store within walking distance. Um, all the billboards in the area had um, liquor alcohol ads mm -hmm. up there. Mm -hmm. um, it was like or, or um, tobacco. Uh, it was never anything, you know, positive or healthy. And uh like you said, the businesses that existed around there were primarily um, hair stores and, and things like that. So, or or uh, fast food, you know, uh, chicken restaurants or what have you. That it's like I can't get anything healthy to eat. And many people come in from all other areas, so they see, oh, this isn't like this over here. You know what's going on. You know, and so. We, you know, when, when we note those things, obviously we should start thinking of it as an opportunity uh, for improvement, for advancement in, in how we look at things and try to do some things. That's why they're, they're in school, maybe do some things to help improve where we are. Um, one of the things um, I read recently, too, there was a very alarming statistic that I saw on the Centers for Disease Control website. And then I don't know if you've seen this or heard this, but um, I read it last week. It stated that 65% of African-American children are now orphaned by one or both parents following COVID. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that society is prepared to deal with the alarming fact that we're talking about here? And uh, who's going to raise these children? 
Yeah, I did see that statistic last week and it was very concerning. Um, again, I, I think that really just speaks to, again, how we really need to make sure one and or both and both parents are one unified in taking care of the family unified in realizing that you do have to take care of your health unified in getting your kids checked out uh and for yourself again because they lost a parent you know maybe someone had a pre-existing condition that they had been tending to and therefore wow. when covid hit or they got covid you know they were gone uh, so children have been orphaned, you know, with the loss of one or sometimes even both parents is, you know, both parents are gone. So again, there are, there are ways for you to learn about what needs to be done, the use of clinics. And also notice too, that I think I want people also to stop being so caught up with celebrity culture and the media and posting. Cause we're realizing too, another report that came out last week is the effect that all the social media is having on our children's brains and their mm. mental health. And mm -hmm. also, uh, you know, that, that we need to make sure that people aren't spending so much time with their screens and communicating more and language skills more because that's affecting mental health and depression. The young kids are being depressed with Instagram posts because their thing didn't go as viral. So it's a matter of, of focusing and and following through. I would say follow through is, is really key. Right. Yeah. Those yeah, are some great, uh, great notations on how, you know, we might be able to level the playing field and really uh, see a paradigm shift occur that will lead to a positive impact on healthcare uh, within the black family. And education, um, yeah, education right. overall, education is right. important. Mm -hmm. Yes. We're going to take one more quick break uh, and we come back as, as we come back, we're going to wrap up uh, by just uh, talking a little bit more here with Dr. McLeod on women's health. We'll be back in a moment. Domestic violence between intimate partners is expected to rise by 20% during and coming out of the quarantine shutdown. There are steps you can take to protect yourself. Don't wait for an abuser to hurt you. Call the police if you feel threatened. If your abuser begins to stalk you, it might be time for an order of protection. Once you get it, carry it with you and show it to police if you must call them. For more information, call the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443. And welcome back. You're listening to the Celeste Stein Show, and I'm here with Dr. Melody McLeod. And Dr. McLeod, I want to talk a little bit more about your book and the emphasis in particular that you place on sex and phenomenal living. Uh, in my career, <laughs> I've been around a lot of students, um, you know, more recently who were on the dating scene, and there was a lot of talk about how COVID really um, took a good two years out of people's lives when it came to dating and intimate relationships. Um, you Tell know, me about one it. Student, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of my students uh, had me cracking up. Um, she was like, well, it's really hard when you have this covering your face and you can't see this part right here. And she's just like, can you just take that down just a little bit? She goes, it really makes a big difference to be able to see someone's whole face and so 
we're dealing with a lot there. Uh, fortunately, we finally are beyond the, the mask mandates and all of that. But um, what are some of the things that you, you kind of uh, observe when it comes to women as it relates to sex and COVID and how much did that actually put a damper on things? Well, as one who still wears her mask regularly, and I'm not letting, <laughs> I tell someone, you know, I, I tell someone, I'm, it, it's in a way, it's kind of kept me away from some people who I had no interest in, but I'm like, look, I'm not letting anybody <laughs> in my face space is what I'm calling, which really has gotten to be kind of lonely. <laughs> like, You're right. Right. <laughs> I, I, I'm, my sister is really like that. She, she is something else overboard, you know, like you, you know, she's like six feet, you know, like, yeah, no, it's, you know. people think COVID is over. Honestly, I know, you know, people, I want it to be over. I, I really, I wear my mask all yes. the time. I was at an event this morning. I, I was happy to see, ironically too, I'm noticing publicly more black people are still wearing their masks compared to some white people I've noticed. Okay. And I'm, I'm happy to see that, but I still wear my mask. I, I don't care. And a good friend of mine uh, who's loved me forever, really the husband I never married, I guess, as a, we went to college and medical school together and I'm more of a surgeon and I like the tumors and to get in there and, you know, take things out and dissect stuff. He's more into the micro stuff, like the sub, <laughs> you know, sub viral DNA, da, da, da. And right, so right, he's right. on some board about COVID and, and he said, you know, Mel, you know, it's it's really not over yet. It's just not over. And and, right. and so I we said, well, good. I mean, so you know, it's not over. It, it's so right. it really has COVID has put a damper on a lot of intimacy and uh relationships. So if people are married, stay that way, hopefully, as long as you're not being abused and you can get along and you like each other or you you know that, you know, go to your room or so you need a little space. But uh <laughs> it, you know. In one way, maybe some things have been good because people started doing more virtual things. And I think some of those dating sites, they somehow allowed virtual meeting of people through yes. you know, these things. So you kind of got to maybe know people a little bit from talking to them and you got to see them through the screen. But it did interfere and still does interfere with those who are still being very cautious about kissing and intimacy and i've seen a few jokes but we won't get into those here about, <laughs> <laughs> about how to have sex during covid but we will not discuss that i'll tell you what the joke is i mean people i you know uh i i watched some something i saw online where they were really having an open and very candid discussion <laughs> about all of that and I think a lot of people really, I mean, they haven't talked about it, but I definitely think a lot of things changed, you know, during that time. And still, even now, I mean, I think about, you know, just going out in public places. I mean, I've changed my behavior. You know, I go early in the morning. I'm an early bird. So I go when nobody <laughs> is, is yeah, there. It's, you know, it's, I just try to do depressing. things like that. I mean, I wrote yeah. this book during COVID and, and I even in the book at the back, you know, during the afterword or whatever, I was writing how, you know, I mean, I love medicine. I love writing. Uh, I love giving a good word of health and education to someone. I enjoy talking about health and sex and relationships. But this was really, it was a tough time for me to write because we have what's called languishing with COVID. You know, you kind of like, you wake up and it's, my God, you know, what, you know, when is this going to be over? You miss being around friends up close and personal. I like to throw parties at my home and, you know, yeah, I hadn't done that in a while. And so it was just a tough time to write, but I, you know, I stuck through it. But, 
it, it did affect our psyche. It affected our interactions, our comfort. We're still not back to 100%. You know, we're not back. And I don't know when that's going to be. Uh, but with mm -hmm. regard, one more thing about sex. I do encourage women in the book that, you know, we are part of, that's a part of who we are too. Because sometimes we, you know, and the whole thing about Black women and sex is kind of a mixed bag. Okay, either we're being kind of wild and out there and, 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 and all that, or sometimes a lot of black women, they have hangups about sex. You know, it, it's just not, so you, it's okay. You know, we're emotional beings. We're, we're spiritual beings. Most of us have maternal instincts and sexual instincts are just as natural a part of who we are too. But I do tell people to guard your, in the back, I have guard your garden, <laughs> you know, guard yourself. You, Cause <laughs> right. you know, you gotta be careful out there. You know, you don't want to be getting right. all kinds of diseases. You need to know who you're going to be with and you got to look out for the, you know, folks may not tell you all of what they're doing. Uh, and mm -hmm. the reason why we have HIV AIDS, the highest in the black community, black females are still the fastest growing demographic demographic of HIV AIDS cases. And truthfully, if I may just mm -hmm. quickly say the reason for that is, and I want you ladies to listen up, and you men too, is purely hetero women are having sex with men on the down low that aren't telling them that they go both ways, okay? Mm -hmm. And they're infecting these women. And that's why we have a high number of Black women, purely hetero women, with the highest number of HIV AIDS cases that are new in our, in, in our society today. So be careful out there. Right. Well, one thing you said, you know, women need to take care of themselves. And I know we're almost out of time, but I really want to touch on this point. You know, I think in the African-American uh, community in particular, I used, I used to date someone who was a, a psychologist and it was this running joke. It's like black people don't go to therapy. I mean, you know, but I'm hearing more and more about that. And people, when we say take care of ourselves, you know, how much emphasis are you placing on you know seeking professional uh help at this time oh totally and you know I, I, therapy is so important and i think too with blacks most blacks are christian so it's kind of like i've got god i don't need to talk to some therapist or right. i'm just gonna pray it through but you know right. no i mean you know prayer is good you know i believe in prayer but, you know, sometimes it's good to go and talk to someone. And that's for men, women and men, okay, because men may not want to go. But it's just so healing and, and helpful to go and flesh out some of that stuff and get it out. And, and, and the therapist can help you kind of peel back some of those onions on those painful issues in your life that are hurting you and draining you and hurting your relationships. And, you know, I even get into some things about narcissistic personality disorder and borderline person. You know, there are a lot. That's a whole other show. If we could do that again, because mental health <laughs> right. and also Absolutely. racism, the effect of racism on mental health is, is an issue. Oh, too. yes. Microaggression. You touched on some some serious topics today that could go on. You know, we could go on because and it's they're not, not really being yeah, addressed. Believe it or not, yeah. I really, I cover, I really did cover it all. It's, it's, it's all the physical stuff, but I also get into mental health microaggressions, societal stress, and Black women's health, the rejection connection. Why do we fare so poorly? I say it's not only lack of access to insurance or lack of medical services. I say some of the societal stress is microaggression, the stuff we take that's thrust upon us, that's affecting our cortisol and our heart disease and our hypertension, and that's causing us to have higher stress, which is giving us 
issues that can lead to higher death rates. That's that I have a chart in the societal stress and black women's health, the rejection connection and check it out. Absolutely. Well, this has been some great information, a wealth of information, certainly great advice. Dr. McLeod, it has certainly been a pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much for joining us. And if people would like to get more information, they can find your book on Amazon. And I think uh, wherever, know, it's wherever it, books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your independent bookstore, Target, Walmart. And if they don't have right. it, you call them and tell them to get it. But it's available wherever books are sold. But Amazon, you go on, click, click right now. Make it number right. one. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you again for joining me. That's all the time we do have for now. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein. We'll see you again in two weeks. Go out there and make it a great day.